On this bonus episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses lessons learned about Genesis. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this bonus edition of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend Ken Gregory and our special guest star from the... Yes Music Podcast and Kiss FAQ Podcast, Mark Anthony K. Greetings, awesome. everybody. All right. So, Mark, thank you uh, so much for joining us. We've been in contact um, for some time. Uh, we here at the Palaver have been big fans of the Yes Music Podcast um, probably since we started our first Yes, uh, yes segment. Way back when, I don't even remember when it was. It was it was the second segment I we did, I think, um, when we we came across uh, your work with Kevin. So um, it's it's really nice to finally meet you in person, and and thank you so much for joining us here to to talk about Genesis tonight. This is exciting. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, thank you for the kind words in regards to the uh, YMP. Uh, we've been uh, working very hard at it, as you know. And I have to admit, though, that I'm a uh, pretty dedicated listener to you guys as well uh especially uh the genesis stuff that you've been doing i've been making it a, a habit of downloading it and putting it onto my little ipod for whenever i make my trips around uh whether it's paying bills unfortunately or whether it's going to a doctor appointment or whatever i do you know whenever uh or even when i'm walking my dog around the block i tend to uh put those on and check them out and i have to say you've done a really excellent job on the on the uh, whole Genesis thing, and I've also been, of course, you know, listening in on your opinions on the Yes albums. Uh, of course, being from the Yes Music podcast, I needed to check that out. Yeah, it was interesting your take on some of the records. The great thing about this in general is that we don't have to agree on everything, but right. that's what makes everything interesting, right? If we if we agreed on everything, it'd be pretty uh, dull, and you know, it'd be pretty short podcast. That's for sure. Well, and absolutely. I mean, even even in our own group, you know, we I find that some of the episodes are much more interesting when we disagree amongst ourselves. Even um, it just kind of gets things rolling. Um, and and even you know, we were talking earlier about social media. Um, you know, we we had um, we had some interesting commentary with regards to, for instance, the Battle of Epping Forest. <laughs> so, you know, that was because we had we had differing opinions and people out, you know, fans had differing opinions as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a, definitely a, a song that, you know, strikes the Genesis fan base differently, I think. You know, everybody seems to agree most of the time on songs like Musical Box or, you know, Supper is Ready and stuff like that. But then you always have those songs in the catalog where you know you have half the people saying yeah that's a great song another one saying what are you talking about that's horrendous you know Um, but i wouldn't ever put epping forest in the horrible category but i think that there's obviously things that people see that are weaker in that song than in other spots namely i always hear the argument about the over abundance of words and how it's very wordy for somebody like you know you know, Mr. Gabriel to sing. So <laughs> it's pretty dense, no doubt about it. <laughs> We're usually treated to a lot of um, dog noises in, in Joe's house, but I, I suppose we're starting late enough. The dogs are pretty tired tonight. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because my dog, 
seems to be acting rather nicely. Oh, and I think I spoke too soon because I think she just came to my door now. Oh boy. She's usually uh, one of those dogs that, uh, you know, is one of those ones that looks, say, look at me, look at me, look at me. So I shut the door. So hopefully she won't bother me. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, we like to do these, these episodes, you know, after we finish a, a, a band segment and we have some time to digest it, you know, it's, it's always fun to kind of go back and, and think about, you know, how our perception of, of the band or certain albums has, has changed over, you know, the course of what we do. And in some cases, you know, maybe there were sections of the catalog that we weren't familiar with, or in other cases, there are, you know, things that maybe we didn't fully appreciate before um, that through, a, you know, a, an older and wiser and more critical look, you know, we get sort of a different uh, different spin on it. But, but Mark, we haven't had a chance to really talk to you at all about <laughs> your feelings on Genesis. So maybe, maybe you can fill us in a little bit on, on your, your relationship with, with their music. Well, um, my introduction to progressive music in general was through my older sister. She's about seven years older than me. And, you know, she introduced me to a lot of music, like the whole kiss thing was her fault. Uh, the whole thing with, <laughs> uh, you know, and she listened to a lot of different bands like Duran Duran and uh, Japan and stuff like that. And um, then she, you know, started listening to one band that really, really caught my attention and have been my favorite band, period, like forever, which is Rush, um, you know. And to the, to me, they are the absolute best progressive band in the world. So I mean, that right there might cause a bit of tension amongst the people say, listening. Wow. <laughs> but but uh, the Genesis is something that uh, came to me a little bit later on. I got into Yes first, and then I started listening to Genesis because of an interview that I read. I think it was Chris Squire. In fact, was talking about how. Uh, he saw Genesis back in the day, maybe in the Marquee Club or something like that. And I was kept thinking to myself, Genesis. And he mentioned, you know, Phil Collins on drums. I was like, Phil Collins, is that the in the air tonight guy he's talking about? And then I, at that point, I had no idea that he was a drummer, actually. I just thought that he was this pop right. singer guy, right? Mm-hmm. Then I went and discovered some of his uh, drumming on some of these back albums. And I was like, whoa, what the hell's going on here? Like, uh, I was like, absolutely floored. Like, the, the my favorite album. From well, my favorite album, Gabriel era, is a nursery crime. I I love that album. It's my favorite record. Uh, I think everything from the artwork to the songs on there are just fantastic. Now, when it switches over to Phil Collins on vocals, that's where I really started getting into it. I mean, this might be another thing that people might throw eggs at me for, but I actually like the Phil Collins era better than the Peter Gabriel era. And my favorite record with him has got to be Trick of the Tail. I think that, to me, that album, pretty much in my mind when I heard it, was one of those records where when they were done and they started touring, they were probably thinking, there, Peter, we don't need you. We proved it once and for all. <laughs> Goodbye, good riddance. And that's it. You know, and, you know, because I think that that album is fantastic. The only thing about that whole tour cycle that really made me sad was the fact that they had Bill Bruford on drums during that time. 
and they never ended up keeping him. I thought, what a disappointment. Could you imagine what Genesis albums would have been like if he would have stayed and did Wind and Weathering and some of these <laughs> other records with them? It would have been incredible, you know. But you know how Bill is, you know, he, he needs a, a challenge all the time. And, you know, he has to go and make records that don't sell for some reason. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, he, and then all of a sudden, he'll come and, you know, get asked to join a band that's, you know, a lot bigger and, you know, financially can assist them like King Crimson and stuff like that. Right. And also like, yes, when they did union, obviously, which is probably the biggest payday he'd saw in a long time, considering that he was doing, I think, earthworks around that time. Uh, but getting back to Genesis trick of the tale is definitely my favorite album from that period. Uh, but I like a lot of their records that people kind of frown on too. I mean, I don't mind invisible touch at all. Uh, actually one of my favorite, uh, live, videos that i have because i bought one of those you know that genesis uh box the, oh, yeah. the movie uh-huh. box that came out yep. and that whole wembley concert is absolutely phenomenal yeah like i thought that it's one of the mm-hmm. best live shows that i've seen ever i mean you talk about a guy who had an audience in the palm of his hands if he would have said to them you know everybody stand up in your chair and start beating <laughs> up each other he probably would have did it you know because they, the people on had, the left the people on the right the people in the center the people on the left the people on the right the people in the back <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, it was, it's just fantastic how, you know, they, they were really on a high at that point. And uh, I actually think, and that uh, after they came out with that record and did that tour, I have to give them a lot of credit that they came out of with a record like, I, you know, I can't dance or whatever it's called there. And it actually, you know, it's not as strong as Invisible Touch, I don't think, but, you know, the audience stuck with them through that and you know they, they it didn't just disappear i thought that was going to be the thing that would have happened with them you know visible touch would come it would sell really good and then you know three quarters of the audience would have ditched them on the next record which really it, it didn't happen you know we can't dance is not you know wasn't i think that badly taken by the core audience at that time right i mean it has enough commercially friendly songs that kept those people in there as well right so i mean you know those those records I don't mind, but, you know, obviously my heart will always go back to songs, you know, from like the Trick of the Tail and stuff like that, like Dancing on a Volcano and stuff like that. I love those kinds of, uh, that era of the, the band. I mean, that and Wind and Weathering are probably the best back-to-back albums I think Genesis did. Wow. Are you going to get a chance to see uh, Steve Hackett when he comes around? Uh, you know, if he goes through Canada. <clears throat> well, I haven't heard anything about this is like when uh when the whole yes thing happened because I don't know if I'm guess you guys must have caught my displeasure whenever yes goes on tour and they seem to ignore Canada and then finally for this <laughs> royal affair they finally came through and I was like just on the internet like the next second trying to get tickets and luckily I got one and I uh, saw them but yeah I mean I hope he does come through cuz I'd love to see him you know I mean when I was at the yes show Somebody there was telling me um, that Rick Wakeman was coming through on his uh, piano tour there. So um, I'm definitely going to go check that out. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Rick, Rick Wakeman is giving me fits because he's obviously not coming to Texas. And um, I've already traveled to Philadelphia far too many times this year for concerts. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I'm just like, oh. You know, it's my only option. Same with same with Hackett. Um, I think I missed Hackett when he was here. Um, I think he was here on the last tour. I don't think he was here on this one. So we'll have to uh, 
you know, you, you've got to make tough choices in life and mm. sometimes you can't do everything that, uh, that you want to do. And, you know, doing it, doing a, you know, a podcast like this, you, I, I feel almost a certain obligation to go, to go and see these <laughs> shows now, which, you know, like I really need any, any excuse to do this, but, you know, I'm, I totally am on board with, with everything, you know, that, that you just said, um, I know at the time we're recording this, we haven't released any of the ep- episodes from the Phil Collins era, but I can I can spoil it for for you, Mark, in that mm. the, the the top of my list and what I suspect is going to be a in some ways an entertaining gush fest from me is uh, Duke. I freaking uh. lost my mind on the Duke episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, you it, and Paul it, both. It, it moves me. That's all I can say. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally on board. And, and, you know, I, I find, I find things to appreciate in virtually every Genesis album. The only one I really have trouble with, Abacab, I just, I struggle with. And, and I get, really? I, I get what they're going for, but I, I, I have a hard time with it. Hmm. Well, Mark, you're you're a musician, and um, I'm sure that that you've you've got a decent sense of pitch based on your uh, compositions and everything you've released, and 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 just you know my personal music sensibilities are are offended by some of the uh, I don't know if it's Proteus sounds or, or what Tony Banks is using on there, but he's detuning some of his synth sounds on, on Abacab, and I just object. Uh, my ears get fatigue. <laughs> Yeah, um, that album is not my favorite as far as his contribution to the music. Um, I thought that Tony Banks was always extremely strong as a writer, um, extremely strong as a player as well, obviously. Um, But, you know, just because you're a strong player and a strong writer doesn't mean that you sometimes make the right choices with your sounds or your instrument, though, right? I mean, you could grab a keyboard and pick a patch that people kind of scratch your head and go, why is he playing that? Or, you know, it's, it's, it's happened with lots of people. Even, even Getty Lee has made questionable choices with his keyboard sounds in the past, but you know, Abacab, I thought was an interesting record. Um, it had some interesting, um, different types of songs within one album. I mean, Abacab, I thought was a pretty rocking sort of prog tune. Then no reply is so funky, you know, like, like that whole kind of double-handed keyboard thing that Tony Banks reintroduces that he hasn't done since, you know, uh, you know what's that? Lamb lays down, lamb, lamb lays down on Broadway there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then after that, we get one of my favorite songs that they did. And actually, um, Phil Collins' son did a great version of it, and that's Keep It Dark. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's an amazing song. Uh, so right there, within the first three songs of that album, you have a very broad spectrum of music styles in it. So it's almost like they were not sure which way to go, and then rather making a conscious decision to go one way, they're like, you know what, screw it, let's just go every which way, and then we'll pick up people along the way with maybe a couple of these songs. I think I said it in, in the episode on on Abacab. Abacab is, is my... Tormato for Genesis in that <laughs> when I am not listening to it and I think about it, I, I remember it in harsh terms. And when I put it in to listen to it, it's like, Oh, well, that's not so bad. Yeah. Okay. I can listen to that. So mm-hmm. who knows? 
Hmm, interesting. I wonder what Kevin will think when he hears that. <laughs> As we know, Tormato is his be-all, end-all album from Yes, which is still something that I find rather interesting because I'm with you guys. I, I think that it's really an odd album, Tormato, and mainly because <laughs> I, I think it's one of those records where um, they were not done in well by the technology at the time that whole studio sounded terrible i mean yeah. there's there's been a lot of talk about the fact that you know machines weren't properly aligned when they were recording so the sound of the recording in general suffered um then you had this great story which i'm sure you guys probably heard of if not i'll just run it by really quick about the fact that john anderson apparently played rhythm guitar while they tracked everything during that those sessions and then when it was all done he ended up saying, okay, just take my guitar out and that's it. I don't want to hear any of my guitar. So they were left with nothing but noodling because, you know, Steve Howe and Rick Wakeman were playing over top of his rhythm tracks. <laughs> and when they pulled it out, all that was left was this noodling stuff. And I never no knew guitar. that. I, I had not yeah. heard that story. That's, that explains a lot. <laughs> oh, that explains so much. Wow. Oh, yeah, I mean... Think about songs like, you know, the future times, like do 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 all that stuff at the top. Now, if they had another, another guitar underneath strumming chords, you know, it may sound totally different than what that totally pulled out of the mix. Interesting. Right? Oh, wow. That, that's fascinating. You know, it's, it's funny when, you know, when we, we bring up Rick Wakeman here and you were talking earlier about Tony being a strong player. One of the things that, that I picked up through this and because I've got, you know, we, I've, I've got the same, um, box of videos that, that you have, Mark. Um, we, we started to watch a lot of, of live performances as we went through this, this segment. And coming from, from yes and used to the, the, the large personality of, of Rick, certainly, and, and Tony and Jeff to a certain degree. And Tony Banks is so understated that you can almost, disregard him but when you when you listen to what he's playing and you you watch him i mean he's he's cool as a cucumber he makes it look easy but he's doing as as much pyrotechnic type work as any of them it's it i I found that to be amazing i my appreciation for tony really really increased dramatically as we were going through through this segment i mean there's no doubt in my mind that He's a a very needed member of that band. I mean, you know, they they lost Steve Hackett, and when they lost him, you know, people thought, oh boy, this could be a very huge blow. Oh yeah. And you know, they moved they they and they moved on. You know, they they went as a three piece and continued forward. You know, they when they lost Peter Gabriel, a lot of people thought it was all over for them. But you know, little did they know they had a fantastic singer. You know, already just awaiting there. I mean, they kind of knew. Don't you think? Because, I mean, he did kind of start singing with them, doing background vocals, and they even let him do a song or two here and there on records, right? Fool Like Me and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So they knew, they knew he could sing. But I think that they were always kind of like second-guessing the fact if he could actually front a band, you know? But the the, the, the thing that I always think about is the, the moment that he went out there and started doing that bit with the tambourine mm-hmm. with, you know... I know what I like there. I think at that moment they realized, you know, they had their man because, you know, the, that that part in there became such a integral part of their show. Like people wanted to see him do that bit, you know, 
and and the funny thing is i i suspect that people wanted to see him do that even when they did that 2007 reunion tour poor guy is like what getting near 60 at that point you know he's probably hearing every joint crack when he was trying to do those tambourine hits with his legs at that point you know <laughs> so it, it's just such a um it was just such a great example of him stepping up to the plate and showing that not only could he sing but he could also front a band and keep people's attention some of the you know greatest uh song introductions i heard he he did like on that duke tour that lyceum show that that's a uh, very popular amongst the uh, youtube watchers of genesis shows um he's he's had some great you know in between song banter I, i'm sure you guys would agree yeah absolutely and i can only imagine it's not easy making the transition from you know being a drummer to being a front man like in singing which obviously he could do but his while he's very good at it and i think Phil is just one of those natural talents. I think Phil can do anything Phil really wants to do. But his his style was so fundamentally different from Gabriel, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just that he's switching he's he's switching his role, but he has to sort of, you know, carve out his own way to do that. And I I think for me that's the part that I find refreshing in in whatever that the the fans embraced that even though it was so fundamentally different um you know but of course by that point the the band had developed more of a stage presence as a whole i think you know and we had some conversation as to the 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 origin of gabriel's costuming um Mm -hmm. and apparently there was some sort of stage fright aspect to it but there was also this aspect of you know the band all sat down and played their instruments and no one moved. There was nothing else really to look at at that point. Um, and by the time Phil stepped out in front, you know, they were working on the, the very lights and, and, you know, everyone was finally standing up and it was, you know, it was, it was a different, it was a different show altogether. I would, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, th- that's the one thing that I'm glad changed with Genesis um, this whole sitting down on the chair business, I mean, the only man who can get away with that is Robert Fripp. Um, I think anybody else who sits down in a chair, unless you have a broken leg, you shouldn't be sitting on a chair during a concert. I mean, come on. I mean, th- th- this is just ridiculous. I mean, th- they, they weren't exactly, I mean, they were playing complicated stuff, don't get me wrong, but I mean, you know, it didn't require sitting down in a chair because it was that hard. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was, I mean, I, I, honestly, I, I, you know, when when we got into this, I I knew the Genesis music. I didn't know a lot of the lore, and so I never even knew that. Right. So the, one of the first things I did in preparation for this segment was I I went out and I got Rutherford's book and I started reading it. And in one of the chapters on the you know the early part of the band, he's talking about how they would always sit down, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And so I went into my into my library and I pulled out my copy of Genesis Live, and I'm like. Holy crap, they're really just sitting down. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it was yeah. it was such an odd concept to me. I never even contemplated that that would be what they did, but that's what they did. Uh, <laughs> let me interject because I I, 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 I I invested some time in going to see the tribute acts and I love our local uh, trespass tribute act. And, 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 and they've got chairs and the musical box and they've got chairs. <laughs> and, and I find 
an element of chamber music. I find an element of something traditional, something, I don't know, European, something Are you saying it's properly romantic. British, Ken? Right, very much <laughs> like Kevin Mulrime, yes. <laughs> Just my two yeah, cents, well, man. Well, I mean, I, I, can, I can understand that because, I mean, even when uh, they... When you watch like footage from that time period, you know it's 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 very much almost like a play at some point because when he does when Peter Gabriel's talking on stage, it's always like da 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 da. Like he talks like very yeah. almost like he's a narrator in between a song, right? And then you know he'll he'll tell some very odd story, and then they'll break into you know a, a song from it, you know. And I guess that sort of approach worked. But I think the one thing that I liked about the fact that when they brought in Phil Collins to sing is one of the things that I think probably annoyed Peter Gabriel to no end was that he would sing for like two or three minutes and then have to sit there for seven and eight minutes doing either a tambourine or playing his kick drum there that he had for the first period of time there or go and run backstage and put on a dress or a fox, you know, mask on or something and come back out, you know, just because he had nothing really to do for those seven, eight minutes. I think one of the great things about Phil Collins fronting the band was that when that part of the band music came in, he could just cart back to his drum set and join in and play. Yeah. He didn't have to worry about standing there and wondering what to do. He could just go in and razzle dazzle everybody. And then he had Chester Thompson and him on drums together. And geez, I mean, what, what better, you know, sort of drum performance can he ask than that? I mean, there's just some mm. fantastic performances. I mean, and one of the best songs that I seen an example of that happening. And it's almost like when they wrote the song, they had that in mind was fading lights i mean yeah here's a song that starts off very just drum machine ish you know and them in the front him singing and you know it's kind of a simple kind of melody and stuff like that and then all of a sudden when it kicks in he comes running back into the drum kit there in the back and just uh, unbelievable how he plays with the band in that song like one of my favorite live moments from that tour was that song absolutely fantastic yeah, I, I agree. I I love Fading Lights. I loved it the first time I heard it on the album. That was the only time I've seen Genesis on that tour. And yeah, I had I, I just had a reaction when, when they did that. And even even now when I go back and I watch the uh the concert film from that, it's still spectacular. The other the other part that I really enjoy along those lines, um I've always been a home by the sea guy. And so when, mm -hmm. when oh. Phil goes back to the kid for second home by the sea, I think it has the same sort of, of power to it. I really do. I, I really, you know, there's something about the relationship between Phil and Chester that, you know, it's, it's in no way competitive. It's, it's fully collaborative and, and just, it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I think that they respect each other as drummers. And musicians, and I think that that really shows in how they, you know, perform on stage together. Uh, I, I really, really enjoy Genesis from that end of it. And, you know, for, for me being a huge Rush fan, the fact that Neil Peart readily name checks, 
you know, Phil Collins as an influence on drums and name checks Bill Bruford as an influence on drums. I mean, you know, these are people, and even Chester Thompson, too. I've heard him mention him quite a few times as well, that some of his favorite Genesis things that he witnessed was with them together. Yeah. So, you know, so for me, who lives and dies by Rush because they are the greatest prog band in the history of music, um, <laughs> when they will go and say great things about Phil Collins on drums, you know that he's got to be good. And I mean, it's just, there's so many moments in the live shows that he amazes me on. Like, I mean, one of my favorite songs that I seen them play, and they only seem to have played it just on one tour, was the Brazilian. I love that mm. instrumental that they did. And he only played, they only played it for the Invisible Touch tour, but it's, uh, there's something about that song and the way he plays it, and especially since it's a strictly electronic drum song like it's just him on the simmons drums for that kit i mean for that song and it's 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 not my favorite sounding drum set by any stretch of the imagination but he seems to make it work for a song like that you know he's not afraid of using electronic drums he's not afraid of also introducing a drum machine i mean what kind of a drummer will come up to you and say you know what i have an idea at the beginning of the song we're just going to use this drum machine most drummers are looking at him and say are you insane why would you use a drum machine or a drummer you know <laughs> in my estimation and it's it's my estimation take that for what it's worth i think i think phil was the best at integrating the different layers of of technology into a coherent whole since we're you know we're talking to you and we're talking electronic drums i mean one of the most egregious mistakes ever made was bill bruford's freaking snare sound on the abwh tour oh my god that is just terrible it is terrible <laughs> i would be uh, lying to you if i didn't say i agree with you on that because that drum set sound is the thing that I hate about that record, it's, you know? It's it's painful. <laughs> it, it, it absolutely is. I mean, the, that record as a whole is so interesting and so well-written. Yeah. But just to have that monstrosity of a drum set on that recording, I mean, if, he were, if they would have just went and used a regular drum kit for it, I think it would have been that much better. And I think it, it would have probably aged that much better. I mean, I don't think it's a bad record. And as far as you know, how it aged over the years, but that drum, but that drum kit didn't didn't help it at, at all. I mean, you know, he should have maybe even just split it and did half the record with acoustic, and maybe half with the electronic, yeah. and that would have maybe helped it. You know. Well, and when you listen to something like the live, you know, um, the live records, and you get something like close to the edge with that just incongruous snare it, just, it, it throws off the whole thing um so incongruous I, the british would approve that's that's right well we have to have our palaver 25 cent words it's it's what i bring to the table so um yeah i i think i think phil you know in my estimation I, like i said he he does the best at that i think i think neil parrot was probably a close second with regards to that i always appreciated the way he sort of blended the electronic drums in, in you know, when he was using them as well. Well, I think the one thing about it that I liked about what Neil did was that he only went through one album and tour with the straight Simmons right. SDX kit, which was Grace Under Pressure, which was, in fact, my first concert I ever attended. I was a whole of 11 years old. Was that? Yeah, 11 years old when I saw Rush in Toronto. For the Grace Under Pressure tour, you know he had that in the back of his acoustic set. 
you know, he spun the kid around and used it for a few songs. One of the biggest head scratches, of course, is why the hell did he use it for Closer to the Heart? I mean, that <laughs> that and that song's on Farewell to Kings. There was there was no even electronic drum kit in anyone's mind at that point. You know? <laughs> uh, so uh, I don't know why he used that, but what I do like that he did later on albums like Power Windows and Hold Your Fire was he started incorporating samples of other drums, African drums and stuff like that, and put it into a sampling computer and triggered those sounds instead of using those horrendous Simmons sounds that were in there. And so we got sounds like Mystic Rhythms and stuff like that yeah. that had more authentic sounding tones to it. Yeah, very Bingo. cool. So, so Ken, what were some of the reactions that we have garnered through – um, at least the the Genesis episodes that have already been released through the social media. <laughs> well, we have very civil fans and friends out there, but uh, I, I suppose you know tensions were just a bit higher than usual when we got into Epping Forest for whatever reason. <laughs> it, it seems to be a trigger song. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so, uh, Ken Fuller. Uh, mm -hmm. well, well, actually, before we get to Epping Forest, we'll get to Ken Fuller and his comments on Firth of Fifth. He says, I can't believe Ken and Paul trashed Firth of Fifth. Sacrilege. I agree, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I didn't like the song. I just it, it, it didn't live up to the myth at, at, in a couple of, of, of passages. OK, uh, Dan Sherman wrote to us. Totally agree with Joe and Bodkin about frigging forest being a pain. <laughs> being a painful ordeal that I hope I never hear again, akin to South Side of the Sky. I don't know why Dan doesn't like South Side of the Sky. Yeah, Everyone see, else that, likes That's it. where that post went left for me, because I've always been a big South Side of the Sky fan. I was like, well, why do we have to go there? <laughs> yep. And, and, and luckily, Joe, you're not on social media, but Bodkin stepped in for you. He said, I was just getting ready to agree with you. Then you slandered South Side. <laughs> <laughs> all right but but Vod bodkin says totally agreed with joe on the battle of epping forest what a dog's breakfast yeah i thought that was so. a good turn of phrase right there <laughs> a dog's breakfast i thought that was great big fan of that um yeah yeah, our social medias were, were pretty civil this time around. Nonetheless, I mean, tensions do get get high on uh, Mark Anthony. What you call the, uh, I don't know, kind of the, the second level prog songs for Genesis. Uh, the, the, mm -hmm. the favorites will always be favorites, but then you get to that level where everything is a little bit gray. Well, and, and I think we should point out, excuse me for a second here, Mark, that at the time mm -hmm. we're recording this. We haven't actually released any episodes into the Phil Collins era where I think we're going to start to see some pretty heavy differences of opinion, if I had to guess. What I find interesting is uh, the comment about first the fifth. Now, who was it amongst you guys that didn't like it? Ken, Ken and Paul did not care for it. I, I just okay. found that there's a theme in variation with no variation, where where essentially Pete plays the same thing that Steve Hackett plays on guitar, and I found it very rote. Uh, I remembered it being better than it was. 
Now, so then with that said, I'm guessing that you wouldn't agree with this comment that I found on the internet saying that this track has been described as, quote, one of the finest nine and a half minutes of music that Genesis ever put down. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a runner up, you know. It, I, I disagree. I think that it's not one of the finest nine and a half minutes of music. Uh, I honestly think that to me, it's very overblown. I think it's a very overrated song. I know that people are going to be like, boo, son of a Mark Anthony K guy sucks. You know, but, but, you know, I really think it, I think it is. I mean, it's, it's grown to become this monumental song. I mean, even with the whole, you know, Genesis experience that Steve Hackett does, it's like, if he doesn't play that song on tour, there's like, there's like, there's like a problem. <laughs> in the audience are like what the hell's going on here he didn't play that song you know but i mean i agree with what ken said i mean the song starts out with that one melody and then it's reintroduced again later in the song and then it's like you there's a lot of repetitiveness in it so they make it the sound song they make the song sound like it's one of these great you know compositions you know, on the level of something like a supper is ready, but it's not even anywhere close to that. You know, I think that if, to, to, make, to make that song more interesting, they definitely needed a couple of more new pieces injected into it, I think, to make it that much more interesting. It's not a bad song at all. I mean, obviously, it, it connected with the fan base, right, to the point of where they want to hear it all the time. It's like I made an interesting discovery at the Yes concert that I won too. Because I don't know if you guys caught my comments before, but I used to always say that if there's two songs that I would be more than happy to never hear again on stage, right? <laughs> yes, is Roundabout and Seen All Good People. Yes, and yes, when yes, I, thank you. <laughs> and when I, but when I went to the show and I saw the Vicalia... You did a good review. I listened to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were yeah. very fair to All Good People. You, 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 yeah. you gave it its due. When they when he came around and gave him the guitar, at first I was like, "Oh no, do I go up and go to the washroom now?" <laughs> but I sat there and wait and waited, and they started. He he, he strummed out the chord, and they started. See, you know, good. They sang it, sang it perfectly in harmony. I was like, "Okay, that's good." And then as soon as he started playing it, and John Davison started singing that, the the whole place sang it with him. Like the whole place. Like there must have been like at least you know close to ten thousand people. I think. When we, when I saw them there in Toronto, and everybody was singing, and they put were putting people up on the screen, and you see women there that were like you know eyes closed, it looked like they were having some great like yoga experience listening to this, <laughs> you know, and they were just in an on another plane, and they're singing along, and I was looking around at these people and thinking to myself, what am I missing here? Why is this song connecting so much to people? But you know what it is? It's a moment in the yes set where everybody just kind of like lets their hair down and gets up, gets up and start dancing. And it's not the serious sit down and listen song. You know what I mean? Like what, what yes could be like gates of delirium and these other songs We have to really focus. And you know, you're the golf clap after a really nice section that they performed, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. Like this is just like we can get up and dance and they're doing a straight 12 bar thing after, so, you know, good people, they're rocking out and they're doing all their little soloing sections. Right. It's, it's a fun song, and I think that's why they keep it because it's a moment in their set 
where people can get up and start dancing and remembering what it was like in the 60s and 70s and when things were carefree for them and stuff like that. I think that's really a connection song for the audience. So I think they should probably keep it. It's funny hearing you talk about that because when Ken and I saw John Anderson in New Jersey um, back in June, I guess it was, was it Roundabout where we had that moment? There were There were people in front of us who were were in rapture during that song, as I recall. Do I have that right, Ken? <laughs> and and I, I think there were many rapturous moments. I mean, e- even didn't they do the reggae all good people that kind of yeah, permeated? It was, it, it, yeah. was, mm. it was one of those two songs. I don't remember which one. I'm I'm standing there rolling my eyes, and 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 Ken is <laughs> is is applauding the people having this moment in front of us, and it's like you know. A lot of a lot of people respond to those two songs, but I, I'm with you. If if I never heard Roundabout performed live <laughs> again, I would die a very contented man. Um, you know, it, not that I don't like it, I just don't need it anymore. Yeah, I've got a question for you, Mark, mm-hmm. because I, I'm I'm interested in and you know this. We've had a really great discussion here around the different parts of Genesis and and the live shows and and the recorded music. What is your take on how they ended with Calling All Stations and specifically the the tour for that? Because that was a different beast altogether. Do you have any strong feelings either way? It's an interesting question because I have to admit when I heard that Phil was gone and that they were bringing in another singer in, Ray Wilson, right? Yep. That's uh, who came in. I never liked calling all stations i listened to it a couple of times thought it was okay let's put it this way it might be something that might be another thing that you might hear a few people drop their glasses on the floor and smash when i say this but i kind of compare calling all stations to like revelations to genesis it's a record that i don't have any interest in listening to at all now <laughs> that's it's not because i don't think that there's anything worthy on those records but it's just something when the first time i heard it there was nothing on those songs on those records that connected with me at, at all i mean i even went as far as to watch um there was a whole there's a whole concert from the uh, calling all stations tour i i believe it was in europe somewhere i think uh where they they opened with uh the lamb lays down on broadway actually a virgil I think it's uh, Virgil, uh, what's his name, uh, on drums there. The guy from um, Spock's Beard, he was drumming for them at that time. Oh, wait, um, Nick DiVirgilio. Nick, Nick that's it, yeah. yeah. Nick DiVirgilio, that's it. But I thought that, you know, he's a he's a brilliant drummer, one of my favorite drummers of the uh, modern prog era. Uh, and uh, I don't know, just something about that show they looked defeated to me. Like when I watched them pl- play, they was almost like they were out there playing and they knew it was over at that time. You know what I mean? I mean, they were playing to a lot smaller audiences, smaller venues at that point, And there's nothing more deflating than that. When you're going from playing, you know, Wembley stadium three, four times a night, you know, or three, four nights in a row, excuse me, uh, for a tour. And then you're probably playing like, you know, a medium-sized haul on this tour. So um, calling all stations, I just don't think they should have should have made that record. I think they would have just been better off to have just packed it up, did their solo records, and come back 
like they did in 2007 with Phil and do that tour. I'm very glad they did that tour because to have just ended it on calling all stations, I think would have been a very bad blemish on a, what is a fantastic band's career. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I've always, I've always had a soft spot for calling all stations. Um, when we ended up doing our episode on it, I, you know, when I looked at it sort of critically, I came to realize that there are some, some severe limitations around that and it, i you know everyone including the band in their interviews you know really really indicate that it points to the importance of phil in balancing out tony and mike from a songwriting point of view which is interesting <laughs> and while i always sort of enjoyed a lot of what ray wilson did it was the live performance that really made me think that he was a very odd choice of someone to replace Phil. It just, you know, he was such a different beast um, with regards to that. And and I, you know, I, I understand exactly what you're saying around that that live show because I guess the the one that the performance I saw was the the broadcast from Poland. I guess it was. And I mean, the mm -hmm. stage show is just on a, on, on totally different. Everything about that show was was a little bit different. So. I'm fascinated in transition periods and I think that mm. one, I just find that album and, and subsequently that tour to be just, it fascinates me. It's a provocative, <laughs> you know, set of circumstances for Genesis fans. So I'm very interested to see what, what the reaction is ultimately when we get to that episode to releasing that. Well, Mark, Anthony, well, yeah. How deep did you go into Gabriel's catalog? Because for me, I'm burning, like having done Genesis with you guys for six months, I can't wait to go into Gabriel. Oh, you mean so. Gabriel solo, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to say this. I am a big fan of Gabriel solo. More, I think, I enjoyed his solo stuff more than probably some of the stuff he did with Genesis. The first record, to me, it's, it's an interesting record. Um, you know, of course, you have Salisbury Hill and stuff like that on there, and you know, the Burgermeister song, and you know, uh, here comes the flood and stuff like that. So, there's there's good songs on there, but I think that he was still kind of finding his feet at that point, as a solo person at that point. PG two, scratch and melt. PG three, absolutely outstanding. I, I think that when he started bringing in people like you know. Robert Fripp and you know Tony Levin was a little bit more entrenched in what he was doing with the band and stuff like that. And you know Jerry Murata on drums there. Oh yeah. Uh, just you know, it's just some fantastic material on there. Like, let's put it this way: I'm a big vinyl collector. Okay, big in the sense that you know, let's put it this way: I think Kiss have 27 records or so, and I own 180. Kiss albums because I have like eleven variations of one record, you really? know, seventeen variations of another one, you know, from different countries, and and it's the same for me <clears throat> with Peter Gabriel. I have about eight different pressings of Melt, you know, the German one, the Canadian, the U.S. promo pressing, the Japanese pressing, the you know, all kinds of it because I really love that album. And being a big vinyl guy, my goal is to find the optimal audio experience with that because when you have phil collins you know doing the intruder 
you know, you want to have that, you know, album sounding pristine. So when you crank it up, that drum set is like echoing through your basement, you know? <laughs> so I, I think that it's a fantastic record. I also liked Security. I thought Security started getting a little... Mm, he, started, he was starting to lose me a little bit with Security. I mean, Shock the Monkey, I thought was a little weird. I mean, I remember I saw that video the first time and I was like, what the hell is this video? Like, it really threw me <laughs> off that whole video for that song. Um, but, you know... It's not a bad record. Uh, so, I think, was his uh, attempt at saying, you know what, I'm glad that people think I'm a critically acclaimed singer, and I'm glad that people think of me as a fantastic writer, and I have this great cult following, but damn it, I want some money now. So, yeah. <laughs> I think that he finally decided to kind of, you know, write a little bit more, I'm not going to say radio-friendly, but he definitely wrote more to stuff that he thought would probably bring a broader audience. I mean, it's come on. Sludgehammer is a very obvious showing of wanting to appease the MTV listening folk, in my opinion. Now, I mean, no different than Genesis. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. you've got, I was just going to say, illegal alien was on there. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the and the fact that Invisible Touch and So came out in the same year and they're both on such a similar trajectory, it's very odd. Yeah, and, you know, but I don't have any problem with that. I mean, but what happened after that record is what I started to like. I mean, I, I liked uh, Us. I think that was a great record. I love Red Rain. It's one of my favorite songs that he's done. Talk talk to me. It, it, talk it, to it, me, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it's Us, yeah. Sorry, I got the, my albums mixed up there. Um, but in any case, I, I loved that tour, too, that they, that he did. Later on when he brought Melanie, his daughter, out with him, and, you know, they all decided to all shave their heads and, you know, except his daughter, of course, that would look kind of odd if she did it. But um, they went out there and they, he had a great band for that tour. I used to watch that DVD almost like every other day I would put that on. And I mean, he had some of the greatest performances of his songs on there. Like the the ending of that show with Biko is just unbelievable oh right. i mean I, I i i love that and i mean when you think about it and he just it's just based around one drum pattern that whole song you know as a songwriter i keep thinking to my, i keep thinking to myself like i would never be able to write a song that because if to me to have a song that's like six seven minutes long just based around that drum beat I would probably be bored and want to change it halfway through or add in something different. But he knows the strength and the power of that beat and wrote a whole song around it. And it became a staple for him like that. If he doesn't end the show with that, there's going to be like a riot. I'm pretty sure at a Peter Gabriel show, you know, my God, I didn't know you'd go down this road, but I'm glad I asked. Well, <laughs> Joe, Joe I, I think we just saved ourselves six months, right? I, we just, we just I think maybe we in. did. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 amazing you say that, and you know, let's let's pause for a second. And you know, one of the, one of the things that I always admire about Peter Gabriel is the fact that he he seems to be very much a man of conviction, and you know, you're talking about if he doesn't end his show with Biko, there's, there's some problem. And, and I'm not trying to disparage because there, there are different ways and, and different parts of, of life and everything else. But Biko versus Roundabout. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, and not that you want to be heavy apples and oranges. This. Yeah, you know, it's it's it, it's just it's a totally different different vibe. So, um, yeah, that's that's spectacular. Um, well, I mean, let's put it this way: Roundabout, they close it because it's their most popular song, and they almost kind of what I kind of think is that they kind of leave that as their last song because you know. If they were to play it earlier in their set, I think for the exception of the albums tour when they opened with it, everybody you know, would leave. I, yeah, I, I would <laughs> exactly. I think that they would think that everybody would back them. Okay, well, I heard it. Let's get it. especially the Joe Average fan who comes up who only knows that song. You know, he's waiting the whole concert to hear that, so he's sticking around, right? But you know, the one thing that I like about Peter Gabriel is that he has he's always thought about the show to be made around his music like secret world for example that song is one of his greatest written songs ever that he's done and one of the greatest examples of the music fitting imagery is that one uh video that they released uh of that live performance that he did i think it was in italy possibly where they play that song and it just drops down to that do 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 do, 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 do. And all of a sudden you see these suitcases come down this tread, like this track down towards him. He picks up the suitcase, walks down the catwalk, opens it up, and each member of the band steps into the thing and disappears yeah. down into the suitcase. <laughs> and I thought that that was unbelievable. I was like, what a awesome idea that was. And then just to shut that and look like he was carrying a 500-pound suitcase with him. <laughs> and to have that whole UFO kind of lighting grid drop down on top of him. Like, come on. You you, you got to say that if they if Yes would have thought of an ending for Roundabout along those lines, then maybe I would have been more happy <laughs> playing Roundabout. Right? See, but, all right, you're all good people is my Starship Trooper. I, I never want to hear another Starship. Oh, that's but then right, it starts Kevin. up. And then I start to get all religious and I freak out and I can't help it. I can't stop myself. <laughs> I, I like Starship Trooper. There's something about that song that connects with me. The one thing about it that I can see that what people don't like is that worm section at the end. Because it does go on for pretty damn long. I mean, it takes. it's a song that should be seven minutes and <laughs> it, it makes it 11 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. I mean, because back in the day, you needed Chris Squire to do his little sliding foot bit, you know, when he goes across the stage in that song. And, you know, so, uh, you know, I mean, I understood that it was it was there for a reason, that song. But it, they, it is a they great song. my heart on this tour. I, I heard that they scrapped one song and, and, and they scrapped the one from Big Generator and they, and they uh, Rhythm of Love and they add and they added Starship Trooper. And I'm like on Saturday, Ken. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to hear what happens in Irving, Texas. <laughs> that would have been, Mark, I, 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 I was on the internet every day checking the flights, and, and it was like $650 for me to meet up with Joe, and it was killing me. I'm like, I'm not doing $600. <laughs> so, so, so I'm taking my nine-year-old daughter to her first Yes show. <laughs> oh, boy. Th- th- this I'm curious to hear about, because a nine-year-old kid going to a Yes show I mean, if it was a 90125 tour, maybe she might be into it, you know, because it's a little bit more MTV friendlier that era. But 
this, I mean, they're playing some deep cuts. I mean, they're doing no opportunity necessary. They're doing, you know, America all 12 minutes of it. They're doing, you know, lots of songs that I was like so happy that they did. And they did such a fantastic performance of it. And, you know, the, the, the thing that people get angry with me about is I keep saying, you know, Alan White, what's he doing on this tour? I mean, why do they keep bringing him out? Because yeah. I know, you know, his time is pretty much up. The guy can hardly go through America. When I saw him play it, 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 it looked like they were ready with an oxygen mask behind him halfway through the set, you know. Um, and, and I don't mean any disrespect to Alan about that, but Jay Shellen is obviously being groomed to take over the throne for Yes. He is going to be their permanent drummer. There's no, there's no two ways about it. And Yes is going to be that band that Rick Wakeman predicted in the 1991 Yes Years documentary where he said that Yes will be continuing on long after he's long, dead and gone. And it's because of doing stuff like this, bringing in Jay Shellen, bringing in John Davison. You know, the only thing now that they need to do is they brought in Billy Sherwood and he was picked by Chris Squire. So there was no conflict with the Yes fans about that at all. They accepted him with open arms because of that. That was the smartest thing Yes did. Now all they need to do is to get Steve Howe off his high horse and start, you know, oh, going. Oh, no. Oh, oh, hang, on. God. hang on. Hang on. Let me finish. Oh, you're going to break the off. internet. Oh, the, the old man internet, but whatever. <laughs> One of the internets is breaking at this very moment. <laughs> he needs to get off his high horse and start putting in a good word for somebody who's going to come in and take his place in the band because it's going to happen. It has to happen. If this band is going to continue and move forward, they need to have a Billy Sherwood on guitar. You know what I mean? Somebody who he'll fully accept and say, yes, this guy is great. I love him. And, uh, you know, we're going to bring him in and he's going to take over for me when I can no longer do this stuff. Because I mean, look at Steve Howe is fantastic. He is a man of, all different guitars. The man, you give him a guitar, any kind of guitar, he can play it and make it sound good. And he has made some fantastic songs over the years. Tales from Topographic Oceans, Relayer. The songs and the performances that he's done over the years is just top shelf, in my opinion. But let's face it, Mother Nature in Age Waits for No Man or Woman, and his time is coming, and it's starting to show in the live performances i said it in the, my review of it he is starting to do that thing now i'm taking a ken you're a musician you you play oh, yeah, yeah 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 okay a little bit yeah now don't you hate it when you got that member of the band who starts playing a song and he's playing it to himself and not listening to the people around him so he's playing the song and let's say somebody makes a screw up like the vocalist and he comes in late he's that guy who will still make the change when it's supposed to happen and ignoring the fact that the singer came in late because he's just playing to himself. Steve Howe starting to become that guy on stage now. And I wow. really, really don't like that because he's, he's not following the band sometimes on gates of delirium. He was not in sync with them in parts. And even uh, there was a guy who follows us quite often named Preston Frazier on yeah, there yeah, and yeah. his review and his review of yes, a concert, he said the same thing that Steve Howe was floundering a bit on guitar, you know. And hey, listen, it happens. Maybe it's starting to be that time now where they need to start thinking about bringing in somebody else who's going to be the next guy to take over for Steve Howe. And right, please, well, I, God, don't be Trevor Rabin. 
right. Well, you you threw you threw down the you you threw down the gauntlet. But I mean, I mean, I I never saw Circa live, but Jimmy Hahn was incredibly talented, diverse, dynamic. He seemed to be right in step with Billy Sherwood. Uh, he was in, uh, and he's he's moved on. He's done other things, but uh, I mean, I mean, Jimmy Hahn was was one that stepped, you know, out immediately. You know, as I went down this quest with the Palaver, I don't think it's a problem. I think there are many brilliant guitarists out there. It's just, it's just you're talking about the the bond. You're talking about the nurturing period of of going through this whole thing. Yeah. Mm. I don't know how to give you that, man, but but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I mean, the, the the reason why I think Billy got in so easily was because of the fact that number one people kind of knew him because he was the you know the the ghost guitar player and keyboard player for the talk tour. Then they brought him in for the ladder, right, on guitar as well. So he, they kind of knew him. And then when he started having that really tight knit relationship with Chris Squire, Chris Squire, people knew him as a good friend to Chris. And then when Chris was you know in his illness stage and he said that he wanted billy to take over what are the fans going to say they love chris squire and they, they wanted to appease him and go go forward with the band i think everybody that's the most important thing i think people want the band to go forward and enjoy the music so i think you know you brought up a good point the whole uh, jimmy Hahn guy there is a great example of somebody who could take over i mean and not to start start more you know crap up but he was the man who you know, took over and ghosted for Steve Howe on Union. A lot of this, a lot of that stuff is not even Steve Howe. It's him playing guitar. Well, so he, we, he does a Steve we, Howe pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, how about Paul Biotalwich? Let's just put it out there because, you know, maybe they're grooming him. I mean, he's on this whole tour. He, he, he's got the dexterity. He's got the in with ELP and Carl Palmer. I mean, what do you think? I, I think that he'd be... An incredible choice for it. I was absolutely floored by their performance. Uh, I I love the fact that he used that electro harmonics pedal that makes that whole Hammond B3 organ generated sound for a guitar. Because for the longest time when he first started playing on that stage, I was like, where is that Hammond organ sound coming from? <laughs> where is that? There's no organ out there. And then it clicked to me and I was like, wait a minute, he has that pedal. And it, and it totally clued in. I was like, ah, okay, now I know what's going on there because he 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 has that sound. It's a total B3 sound in sessions when he's <laughs> yeah, playing yeah. there. It's beautiful. And, uh, and I was like, wow, that's fantastic. And that to me shows how great a guitar player he is. I mean, if he was to take over the guitar duties, I would have no problem with that. All right. Well, this has, <laughs> this has been very provocative here. I'm very curious to see how right. uh, how this comes out. Well, we'll apologize for the hate mail in advance. <laughs> I, I, I I do have a playlist that I want to share with you guys if you're willing to do the uh, the boo or yay game. Oh, I'm always sure? willing to do the boo or yay game. Okay. Right. All right. So 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 my lesson learned. I loved jogging to Rush, and I loved jogging to Yes. I didn't realize how athletic Genesis was. So I just want to give you my prog playlist and you guys can play boo or yay. All right. I love starting with uh, Machine Messiah. Yay. Yay. It can happen. Yay. Yes. Domino parts one and two. From yay. Genesis. Yay. 
Yeah, that really gets me going. That whole nuclear war vibe at the beginning of a run. And then Bastille Day. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, come on. That's when my <laughs> what a great song. That's that's when my cardio really kicks in, you know, man. Okay. And then Watcher of the Skies. Yay. Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So what's wrong with deep, this list? <laughs> deep in the motherload. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I do like that song quite a bit. All right, that one, I, it, it's a little slower tempo, but thats I need it right there. I need some love right there. <laughs> and then I pick it back up with Tempest Fugit. Yes. Yay. Okay. Does it really happen? Yay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, all right. Da -da 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 -da. Um, Dance on a Volcano. Yay. Oh, of course. <laughs> all right. Now, now, this one might be controversial. It's it's not from the album. It's Leave It, but it's the acapella version of Leave It. Yay. Nay. I'm Nay. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I feel the wings of, of God coming straight to me on that one. Okay. All right. And then and then and then for some reason I put Los Endos here. That's yay. Okay, good. Don't kill the whale. Nay, nay, boo, boo, boo. <laughs> I, I always thought that that was a poor attempt at making a single by Yes. Oh, apparently it's just missing the rhythm guitar and it would be perfect. So how, how, how does Don't Kill the Whale fit into what? We in mile six or seven at this point? I mean. Yeah. Squonk. Yay. Oh, I love Squonk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that gives me some juice right when I need it. And then I pick it up with Siberian Katru. Oh, oh, I love Siberian Katru. What a great song and what a great performance they did on this Royal Affair tour. I know. Uh, I bring the tempo down a little bit with Burning Rope. Yay. Big yeah, fan. Yeah, from number three. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, okay. Check out check out the uh, German version. I forget the, the uh, tribute act that did that. It's still up on the YouTubes. It's amazing. Um, okay. And then uh, Arriving UFO. Oh, nay. Seriously? <laughs> God, I would trip on my own feet and fall down. Boo, boo, boo. Okay. <laughs> of all of the tracks from freaking Tormato, you pick Arriving USO? Arriving UFO? <laughs> what, you, right. you, didn't, you didn't like Circus of Heaven? What? What's the problem there, Ken? <laughs> I hope Kevin doesn't right. fire me. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay. I... I, I, I I always have extra songs, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do two more. Um, Behind the lines, oh, yes, yes, to get me over the finish line. I, I'm I'm usually ending my run somewhere around there, and then and then if 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 I'm really slow and I go over, I've got um, some Billy Sherwood with Circa, Our Place Under the Sun. That was the very last track they released. It's uh it's an epic. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love I love the Circa stuff. I I think that it's very underrated, to be honest. Sweet, sweet. Okay, well, thanks for running with Kenny G. That's, that's <laughs> great. I love it. And and and, and full uh, full apologies to Kevin for bagging prematurely on Tormato. <laughs> and, and and I'll say this though: the only surprise in that whole list, I have to say, is what are you thinking with having only one Rush song? Come on, <laughs> man! You need to put a few more in there. <laughs> I, I'm working on it. I'm working. I actually, actually, all right, all right. Um, what I, I was so surprised. I did, uh, I did uh, one of those, you know, charity runs mm -hmm. on entirely Rush, 
and it was it, that was actually my my fastest run. So uh, see, yep, yep. I need to bring back more rush. You're right. There you go. There you go. That's it. All right, gentlemen. This has been a very very fun conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we went a lot of places I wasn't necessarily expecting to go, but that's that's the beauty of this kind of thing. So um, any other sort of, of closing thoughts with regards to anything in the in the Genesis catalog or anything that we've already discussed or and anything that's hanging out? Uh, <laughs> hanging out. It's an interesting thing to say. You know. um, I- I would I would just end with this. I I love Genesis. I hope it doesn't sound like I don't. I mean, I've really really love them. They're easily one in my top three favorite bands of all time. Um, and you know, sure, like I said before, if we agreed on everything, it would be a very boring world. I think the fact that we have differing differing opinions on you know a few things. I think made it very interesting. And I really, really, really had a great time with you guys talking about this. I'm so glad I I was asked to come on here and uh, I'll I'll end it with this. I can only imagine how fantastic it's going to be when we get to do our Tormato round table with Kevin. (laughs) Oh man, that's going to be great. I cannot wait. Um, I guess Paul and I had teased that at the, that the first of the year, the end of last year that we had floated this idea of a, of, of a cross podcast round table on Tormato. So we're still working on that. We're going to make that happen. And it's, it will be very fun. I would anticipate. Thank you both so much. <laughs> um, you know, it's always, it's always, uh, interesting having these conversations relatively late at night. Mark, again, I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to, to join us. Where can people find you on, uh, the social medias as well as, as your two podcasts? Give you a quick plug here. Um, well, obviously, uh, the Yes Music podcast is my weekly thing that I do, uh, along with uh, the Kiss uh, FAQ podcast. I know that's a little bit of a different area of music, but if anybody is interested in listening to my opinions on Kiss, believe me, they are controversial just as well. There's so if you're interested <laughs> in more controversy, you can always go there and hear it there. Uh, also, I want to make a quick little plug about my band, Project Gemini. Yes, um, you can find me on Bandcamp. There, I have three albums out on CD and vinyl, and I'm working on album number four as we speak right now. Wow, uh, and hopefully it'll be done. Hopefully by uh, I'm hoping I'll have it completed by August, and hopefully have at least a CD version out by October. So wow, um, we'll have another Project Gemini album out, and it is a concept record, so awesome. it should be interesting. It fits right into that whole prog way of thinking, the progressive album, right? And yeah. the progressive concept album, I right? Love it. So good. So there you go. So there's where you can find me. And of course, on Facebook and stuff like that, just look for Project Gemini or Mark Anthony K. Awesome. So I think that uh, that will do it for this bonus episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we, we welcome and solicit and look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, questions, whatever. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Um, you can search for Progpala or Progressive Palaver on, on all of those and find us. You are free to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. We are available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify currently, and we are hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.